All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Alliance Network's What Can We Do? My name is Haley Heathman, and today I am joined by We Are Change Orlando's Justin Harvey. Justin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Glad to be here. All right. So um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Why don't you tell me... um, you know, you've done a lot and you've kind of been in this liberty activism space for quite a while. So why don't you um, tell me what's, uh, how you got started and what you're up to now? Yeah, just uh, real quick to bring you up to speed. Um, I had a pretty, born and raised in Orlando, Florida, um, had a pretty standard life up until about age 25. I was um, shaken awake one day, fell into the YouTube rabbit hole due to a relative and um, got involved with independent journalism and activism. Uh, my fight started with Big Food against Monsanto, and these days it has evolved more into with Big Pharma um, and the COVID tyranny and everything we've been dealing with the last few years. Uh, but in between then, you know, you could find me doing anything from organizing protests, speaking at city council meetings, um, interviewing whistleblowers, maybe confronting politicians when they're least expecting it. Uh, and that ranged topics from trying to stop water fluoridation, uh, try to stop the 5G towers, you know, educating people about uh, what really happened on 9-11, you know, NSA spying, you know, so many different topics. I always said if it's affecting our health or our freedom, you know, we're going to try to sound the alarm. And um, most of all, we wanted to just be our own media because we felt that or I felt that, you know, the media was so co-opted. That was the reason we were misled on so many topics and in the dark on so many things. So um, it, we are change Orlando. The chapter that I essentially took over around 10 years ago is, is really comprised of just that independent journalists and activists basically trying to shape the world in a better way and um, expose the truths, ask the questions the media refuses to ask and really just be the change, which is we are change that we wish to see in the world. Uh, and then just in the last three years, you know, we've been really head on with the mandates. We've helped, you know, the firefighters stop the mandates here locally in Orange County. We've really got on the mayor's nerves in, in more ways than you can imagine. Uh, there's plenty of adventures to talk about there. And uh, as of late, we've been taking the vaccine injured into the county meetings to get them recognized and get this issue put on the, the main stage. And, and uh, thankfully, DeSantis has been helping with that. And uh, we're 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 hitting that head on right now, so that's pretty much where we're at up to speed today. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, you know, you've been in this space for quite a while. Is um, we are change? Is that an offshoot of um, like Luke Rud- Rudkowski's? Uh, yep. Are, are yeah, there so, other chapters? Yeah. So I mean, ten years ago, and here's I've got the shirt on actually with me today because a um, a camera is the most powerful thing you can shoot. That's why it's in the shape of a gun here. It's the best witness. It keeps the police, the politicians, everyone honest if anyone's violating our rights and freedom. Um, Luke was someone who inspired me early on. You know, I stumbled across videos of him sneaking up on Henry Kissinger and um, Hillary Clinton and um, all these elite figures in society. And again, asking them questions they've never had asked before by the softball media. So I saw that and it really lit a fire under me. I got involved with the March Against Monsanto and We Are Change Orlando. And then the rest was history. Um, Luke is a friend. We still talk pretty often. He's doing great things on the uh, Timcast uh, podcast now is mm-hmm. where everyone can see him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think we, well, we sort of 
got connected um, through one of the um, events, the protests that you were you put on down in Orlando at um, was it Lake Eola? Is that what it's called? Yeah, Lake, Lake Eola. I get I get it mixed up with Lake Nona. Is that a, is that a yeah. thing too? <laughs> yeah, they're not they're, they're on two different sides, but yeah, they're, they're both there. Okay, yeah. So you you were staging protests because um, at one point Orlando did have a vaccine mandate in place, and mm-hmm. um, for, for for first responders as well. So there was a group of firefighters that um, stood up and and um, was trying to fight back against these mandates, and you were out there trying to raise awareness and. Um, uh, fight back with them. So tell us how that went. Yeah. So that really evolved because the firefighters were put in a really difficult position. Um, and I was someone who had activism, uh, event organizing experience. So once we got wind of each other, we basically teamed up and they said, you know, we need help figuring out a strategy to get our voices heard. And I said, well, I need a large group of people that the media and the government can't ignore. And that was the firefighters. So we basically had something for each other. We teamed up and it was we were really just unstoppable because we were crashing the county meetings and the mayor was being hit with questions from the media. You know, why are you mandating the firefighters? Are you really going to fire them? And he was lying, saying, we're not going to fire them. Well, now we're not. And it's I didn't say that, but we had video of him saying it. And it just got really it got snowballed and looked really bad for them. Um, and uh, we kept speaking at city council meetings and uh, protesting, eventually got the attention of the governor. And when DeSantis met with these local firefighters, um, that's when things were just, that was the nail in the coffin. And then eventually he passed the laws that basically prevented our county tyrants from trying to mandate an experiment on first responders in order to keep their job. So we essentially could have saved who knows how many firefighters jobs and potentially lives by these people not having to get uh, forced vaccinated. And I also just want to point out it was not just a small group. You know, there may have been dozens of firefighters not willing to get the shot, but there were 500 that were not willing to upload their vaccination status. So they were willing to stand in solidarity with the unvaccinated firefighters and and basically um, draw the line in the sand. And that's what it took um, to happen. It really, I think, inspired other firefighters and other groups, lawyers to really say, hey, we can do something about this um, in other in other communities. So it was a really, really great victory. We don't always get victories like that in the activism right. world. Sometimes mm-hmm. we raise some awareness and we get washed away. But this was something that really felt good to, um, to kind of put to bed. Yeah. And the ones I, I think I attended two of them and they were they, I mean, there was a lot of people. There were hundreds of people there, um, which is good. But at the same time, I guess from my standpoint, I'm always a little disappointed. Like, really, we could only get 200 people at our event. I mean, mm-hmm. you think of like leftist activists and um, at the drop of a hat, they can get a thousand or five thousand people to protest yeah. for the right to murder their baby in the womb. Um, so what's wrong with us? Why can't we? Um, ever get more people engaged and activated and out there fighting for their rights. This seems like it's the fight of our lifetime. And yet it's a, it's like pulling teeth, trying to get people to come out and support the cause. What do you think that's all about? Yeah, well, there's one big main reason, and that's they have something that we don't. They have the media. So mm-hmm. when George Floyd, you know, happens, it's on every news channel 24-7 worldwide. You can have 30,000 people downtown that night because it's everyone is being told about it. We are fighting, even before the rampant censorship, we were still fighting censorship by the media refusing to cover us, Facebook pages refusing to allow us to post our event 
in their page. So we're always dealing with an uphill battle there. And it's not it's not popular. It's looked at as the conspiracy theory, the fringe topic. So whether it's genetically modified foods or vaccinations, you know, it's like, oh, well, I'm not I'm not one of those people. So I I don't go out and do that. And what are my peers or my boss going to think? So then you've got people who are a little timid to go out because they're afraid of um, being canceled or they're afraid of being, you know, looked at as a crazy person. So and then you've got the people who've got three or four kids and two jobs and they just physically can't come. So there's a lot of reasons and I'm not making excuses for people. But the big reason is, is we for the majority of the time I've been doing this, we have been the minority. I think that's changing now. But when we're suppressed and don't have the help of the mainstream media, it is hard to get more than a few hundred people out. You know, the most people I think I've ever I've rallied with maybe a couple thousand in D.C. with the uh, anonymous uh, Million Mask March Collective. Um, But again, that was before the censorship took over. and it, that's, it is. It's really hard to do. We, we average two to 500 people at our bigger rallies in Orlando, but that's average. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And usually, and, and, and you're in a major metropolitan area. You get some of, I mean, up, I'm up yeah. just outside the villages and it's a different demographic, but um, you, you know, it's so well, the villagers themselves, they can put on some things, but if you're not like a villager and you're just trying to do your own thing, I mean, I got like a dozen people to protest Wilton Simpson when he came and yeah. gave a the Lincoln Day dinner because that was um, that was before the special session had happened. And of course, he was one of the ones that was holding it up because he and Chris Browles were dragging their feet, not mm-hmm. allowing these uh, the issues to health freedom issues to be brought to the forefront, amongst other things. So, um, you know, I organized my own little protest and, you know, I had about a dozen people out, which not nobody, but, uh, right. you know, you always hope for more. Um, yeah. So now I will say, you know, you know, that's a good point is I take it for granted. I've been I've lived in a large metropolitan city my whole life. So you're right. Someone who lives in, you know, um, Lexington, Kentucky or something is not going to be able to have as many people as Orlando or Miami. But you still can. And that that dozen people sometimes really does make a difference. I will say I've had people pull over and tell us, you know, it was it was your group standing with a sign one day that changed my life. And it was like two people out there. And one sign, you know, changed someone's life and saved her child from getting from getting vaccinated further. And those things will keep you going and show you that, heck, we've had um, we've had a protest with only one or two people. I think we had a protest with eight people one time and I've had a sign go viral and it's still going viral four or five years later. And this sign is being shared by celebrities and rappers. And I'm like, this is crazy. This is one sign that I made at a rally that I went to that felt very defeating afterwards. Like, gosh, no one showed up. But now this sign is still inspiring people. So what if you made a video or a TikTok or something that 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 uh, came from that rally with eight people? You never know. So I always tell people it's never a lost cause, even if you're out there by yourself, you know, even if you're standing for what's right, even if you're alone. Right. You're standing for what's right. That's great advice. And that's inspiring because it is easy when you're doing what we're doing. Um to get defeated and to feel like you're just pissing into the wind, sorry, so to speak, (laughs) you know? So, um, you know, in your years as an activist, what would you say, I mean, are there are certain things that are just performative, like obviously, or, you know, certain things that maybe were less effective than others. I mean, you did like the March against Monsanto, again, another noble cause, but when you look back on it, like, do you ever think, well, what did it really accomplish? Monsanto still exists. They're, you know, still a revolving door between them and the FDA, yada, yada, yada. Right. What was all that for? 
Do you ever right. think that? Yeah, and that's a good that's a good question. I think the, the 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 reason I still look at the situation with the glass half full is is I look at it more as like on a public education and awareness um, angle than so much as defeating the giant because we're never going to defeat the giant, and especially not by just barking and holding a sign. We have to vote with our dollars, get rid of the people that we're covering for them, and whatnot. And when I like, for instance, I see more change coming from educating someone at a rally and them changing their diet, eating organic, stop poisoning themselves. And now they are they've changed their life. And now that ripples out to their family, their friends and their coworkers versus trying to get Monsanto to close their doors. Now, I will say we did get them to change their name. They, they their name was was so tarnished that they had they choose to you know merge with Bayer. Now they're Bayer, which is still an evil company. Same thing. And they are paying out billions of dollars in lawsuits. So the, we did get a win on the roundup front. We did get roundup to get proven in a court with a jury of peers to prove that it was poisoning people. So there's been billions of dollars and they see more and more of these piling up. Um, it's kind of like an avalanche for them. I, I, my, what I always said was that awareness uh, campaign, we checked that box. We, we People know about GMOs now. People know that you can buy non-GMO and organic. It's on everything in the store. So like that, that our job is done there. Um, but yeah, I do, I do see much more change and effect coming from the having people change themselves and their communities than so much, you know, beating the giant. Yeah. What would you say um, has been your most, and you can define this however you want, but like your most successful campaign or uh, protest or event? Um, what do you think you have made the most difference in? Um, I mean, overall, looking at like uh, at the at the the solution and actually getting a win and a victory, I would probably have to say the the firefighters with the vaccine mandates. You know, we we educated a lot of people about Monsanto. The, the genetically modified mosquito fight was kind of a loss. The five G tower thing was kind of a loss, but still, a lot of people know about that. Um, but yeah, the, the mandate would have to be now, if you're looking at like just one successful day of a demonstration, I have to give a lot of credit to Joshua Coleman because he um, he created the Vias for Vaccine campaign. And when I discovered that myself and the Florida Freedom Keepers replicated it over in Florida, he's in California. And we took out these red and black signs and would crash events like the Super Bowl, the Daytona 500, uh, Oprah tour stop and, you know, 50,000, 100,000 people we would be at one event. And we would crash the very front entrance with all this factual information on these signs. I credit some of those demonstrations like the Daytona 500, which happened a month before COVID, as some of the most successful like single demonstrations. Because there's no telling how many seeds we planted that day. And those people went, you know, I remember those people saying vaccine makers were exempt from liability at the Daytona 500. That's funny they say that because now we're about to get this COVID vaccine. And I'm wondering, you know, there's just no telling. So big shout out to Joshua Coleman. If you're not following him and Vias for Vaccine, please do. But those demonstrations were epic uh, on an awareness level. And then um, but on a, on a victory, I'd have to say the firefighter mandate. Yeah. And that's awesome. That's a really that's a really great idea. And that's a good strategy. And then sometimes I think that's something we lack, you know, it's we mm -hmm. have a big heart, but sometimes the strategy maybe isn't quite there. But that was that was very smart 
to position yourself. Um, and I remember seeing photos of you guys outside of like Orlando magic games and you had yeah. like your rep, your referee shirts on and everything. Yeah. So you're even more visible holding up your signs and, and everything. Now, do you ever try when you're doing that? Do you ever try, um, and engage the public or are you just strictly there holding signs or are you trying to talk to people at the same time? Or you kind of just want to be seen and not heard in yeah, that moment? Every, every rally will have a different strategy, but um, I'm the type of person that I love to engage with them and I'm, I'm hoping for it. I'm kind of, I would love for everyone to come over and ask questions. Some people don't want to do that. They just want to have their message. And we do create this campaign in a way that we do let the signs do the talking. They're very factual. We cover kind of all of our bases not a lot more needs to be said. We'll have pamphlets on hand, but um, I do encourage it because some of the best conversations are when someone comes over and talks to you, especially if they get caught on camera. Because then you get real stories of someone saying, you know, this happened to my son with the flu shot, or, you know, I was fired from my job because of this discrimination. And you get some really good, um, you get some real life stories, you know, that people get to hear. But it is, it's best to engage with, with the public, in my opinion. If not, you're not um, you're not capitalizing on that opportunity as much. I don't think. Have you ever had any um, scary or aggressive responses um, to any of your rallies? A lot of disrespectful responses. I wouldn't say very many scary or aggressive. Um, the only thing I can think of that was ever a little aggressive was someone that was probably not in the right state of mind and he was homeless and didn't have anything to do and didn't have any idea with what we were doing. So that's kind of just random and unrelated. No. And I will say on that topic, you know, the trolls and the counter protesters, there's less out there than you think. Um, maybe if you're protesting in Florida Seattle. too, I think, I think in Florida exactly. we're pretty safe too. So I don't think that Antifa has a big presence in Orlando from what I know. <laughs> no, they don't. Yeah, I, I really never saw them until I didn't see them at all in uh, Florida or Orlando much until the, um, sort of the LGBT and the drag queen stuff. They pop up a little more now, but, um, you don't really see that as much. Most people are not willing to say things to your face directly. They're much more so keyboard warriors, or they'll say it as the car is speeding by. Right. Um, I've had so many people uh, say something a little disrespectful or scoff at us. And I'll say, hey, do you want to come back over and talk about it? Or do you, you want to challenge us? I've got a video where a girl rolls down her window outside of a vaccination center. And she's like, you guys are disgusting. And this is so terrible. And I was like, what's the problem? I was like, we're just educating people about the risk of the vaccines before they go in. And she's like, F you and just start screaming. And it's just going off the handle. And the video went kind of viral. It was actually put in a documentary film. And it, it really just goes to show that we're just respectable people out here offering informed consent. And some of the people that drive by are very, very angry and unhinged. And I don't, I don't understand how just some words can make people so upset, but apparently the, uh, the brainwashing is very well done very well. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> are, are you familiar with billboard Chris? I don't think so. Billboard Chris, he's, um, he's not local. He's actually a Canadian, but he comes down to America and he is very big in the transgender arena. So he'll just stand there with a sign that says oh, children no. cannot consent to puberty blockers. And then he starts a conversation. He tries to have conversations. Obviously, some people don't want to engage. He gets a lot of hate. But then sometimes you, you know, he'll post them on Twitter and elsewhere, like where he really does get, you know, thoughtful conversations and will change minds. 
and that's where it's at is when you can engage in that conversation and maybe get them asking questions or you can ask questions and challenge their thinking, but sometimes maybe not necessarily in a, you know, argumentative way, but like that Socratic method. Um, But he just one guy with a, with a billboard um, going around from, you know, these rallies and standing in front of gender clinics or at universities or schools that are promoting this, this dangerous ideology. Um, One man in a billboard just standing there asking questions and people get so angry you know, when he starts to ask questions, it's like, how dare you? Because the problem, and as you keep saying, talking about the media, is that um, they're not used to having their ideas challenged. They're just used to being, It's this is so obviously correct, the correct position, because everybody agrees with me, but mm-hmm. they've never actually really had time or been challenged and had to think through right. their beliefs. Um, and so when somebody has the audacity to do so, they get like really offended and they can't even believe like, how could you ever, they, they mistake condescension and snark for an actual argument. And you know, it's not the same right. thing. <laughs> well, I have, to, I have to say, I might have to look him up cause that's, that's intriguing to me. Cause I appreciate people who have methods like that. I've actually, um, I used to do those man on the street videos. Sometimes mm-hmm. I saw other people doing them was like, you know, I like this. And you basically pick, you know, a topic and go out and ask people questions in a, certain type of way. And you re- that's the goal is you really don't want to get them triggered or have a preconceived bias about what you're talking about until you're already into it. We did one where I would show people a uh, video and ask them what's happening in the video. And then we'd start talking about the video before they have any context. And then once I get their honest opinion, then I tell them about the context and they're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. And it's almost like <laughs> now they want to change their opinion. And it's like, wait a minute. And it's with, um, what was the one I did? It was showing the collapse of building seven. I don't know if people are familiar with that, but mm-hmm. I would show them I, that and they go, what's, I'd go, what's happening here? And they go, well, clearly it's a building being, um, demolished, imploded. And I'm like, okay, what's it look like it's being done with? And they're like, well, it looks like explosives were used. It's being mm-hmm. brought down. Da, da, da. And then I'd say, what if I told you this was, um, another building on September 11th? And they'd go, well, how that's not, how that's not possible. And then they get really confused. And then they, now the, the gears are turning and the conversation has started. And it was a very good way to get in to that breaking down that wall that people have. And you can do the same thing with vaccines and I'm sure other topics. Um, it's, a, it's a good way to um, get people to open up. Yeah. And uh, slightly off topic. But yeah, I remember I, I think it was like 2011 or something um, mm-hmm. Before I even knew that a third building collapsed on 9-11, you never, ever, again, talking about media narrative and censorship and everything, you would never hear the media ever talk about Building 7 uh, collapsing into its own footprint at free, free fall speed due to some little office fires. You know, how can two planes bring down three buildings? All very suspect. Um, But, uh, yeah, it's just uh, it was not I, I just couldn't even believe and I considered myself a fairly well-informed person, although, of course, right. I went to college and got my liberal indoctrination and everything. So I was a liberal for several years after college. And then I, Barack Obama disabused me of all that. Thank you, Barack. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw him being every bit as shitty as George Bush, you know, I was very anti-war and saw him doing the exact same things that I used to rail George W. Bush for. And 
I, yeah. I pride myself on being, you know, intellectually honest. Unlike some of the people that you're talking about, when they would change their opinion, when they knew what was actually going on, I'm like, well, no, okay. If, if this was wrong when George W. Bush did it, this is wrong when Obama did it. So screw you, you know, like you right. had all the great campaign promises and, um, uh, rhetoric and everything. But, uh, when shit came to shovel, you were just as, uh, horrible, uh, and probably more so in many ways than, uh, than Bush was. So that was uh, what got me out yeah. of that. And then Ron Paul and then down the Ron Paul movement. And I've been there ever since. Um, so yep. that's kind of my background story. So um, I was thinking about that, the leak of EOLA rallies. Now, when you were organizing that, and this is something that I've always like, I don't know. And, um, uh, you know, if I were to ever consider doing my own rally, this is what holds me back. But like, do you need to have permits or anything? I noticed you had like police presence there. Did you have to call them? Like, how does that work when you're trying to stage a, a large rally at a public place like that? Yeah, so I'm a firm believer that we don't, shouldn't um, need a permit to exercise our right. Um, I've gotten them before. I'm not going to lie. In the very beginning, when I was still new to this and not sure how all this worked, I did get permits. Sometimes just a sound permit was really the minimum I would get. But if you're in a public space, you don't need one. Um, sometimes the police or the city will try to tell you if you have over 100 or 200 people or a certain number, then now it's an unlawful crowd and you would need permission. But I think that's also worth taking to court, really, because 99 people can exercise their rights, but 100 aren't allowed to without permission. So based on principle, I don't agree with that. So me personally, we just show up. Uh, the police show up on their own. They typically, especially in the days of social media, they find out when you're protesting or when there's a protest going on. So if you've done any promotion, they probably know. Um, and in my, with my experience, they call me sometimes <laughs> and will, or know they know when I show up. So, um, yeah, they're on their own accord. Typically, they're there just to make sure people don't get hit by cars when you're crossing the crosswalk during your march. They're there to make sure people don't get into fights and stuff like that. Um, have I seen undercover infiltrators before? Yes, in D.C., potentially in Orlando once. But um, for the most part, we just show up and do our thing uh, and exercise our, our rights. Uh, yeah, that's what I, something I've always wondered about because that's kind of like a, a barrier, an impediment, like it's an extra step that if you have yeah. to take that, it might dissuade people from doing that. You know, oh gosh, I have to pull a permit and sign some papers and maybe reserve a, you know, pay a fee and that all becomes too much. Yep. Like, oh, never mind. Maybe I don't want to do this anyway. Um, it's not paid. It's not like I'm going to make any money off of this, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So that's good to know. Um, obviously, you know, uh, you would have to, it's location specific. So not every city and not overly location would be as maybe um, lax about enforcing that as maybe what Orlando is. So you'd have to check in. Yeah. And you're going to get, just like with everything, if everybody remembers the mask rules, it depends on the store. It depends on the employee, depends on the TSA agent. It depends on the cop. It depends on the city. It depends on the day. I've had some days I've used the megaphone for 10 years and every 10th time a cop comes over me and goes, you can't use that. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? He goes, you can't have amplified sound without a sound permit. Hmm. And I'm like, this is amplified sound. I don't have like a loudspeaker. And he goes, no, but it's, it's amplified. I go, so my speech is restricted. If it's loud, I can only be quiet. It doesn't make any sense. Now, if the cop's going to threaten to take me to jail, 
and we just started our rally and I'm the organizer and they really need me there. Is it worth going to jail over the megaphone? Probably not. So like I've bit the bullet, bit my tongue sometimes and stopped, waited for them to leave, use it again and then play the game. But it's really hit or miss. You just have to kind of um, judge the officer of the day, the situation and uh, play it by ear. But for the most part, I use the megaphone and scream as loud as I want on that thing right outside the mayor's window. And then other days they don't want me to use it because it's disturbing the rich condominium building next door. So mm-hmm. it's always the situation. You know, if you've got uh, wealthy people complaining, you're going to get more pushback from the police. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good so. point. Um, and when I was at the the Lake Eola rally and there was, you know, there were some cops on the bikes and they were kind of just standing off. I mean, they weren't, they were just observing. They weren't really you know, inserting themselves anyway. And that's fine. I mean, not a problem. And I tried to engage a few of them. There's a group of them standing under a tree and, um, you know, I was trying to be friendly and just engage. Nobody would actually get on camera with me, which is fine. Understandable. But I did try and ask him, I said, look, um, you know, how do you feel about these mask mandates? I mean, if there were a mask mandate, you know, an outdoor mask mandate here in, in, in Orlando, like there is in other places, would you guys be enforcing that right now? How do you feel about all that? And they all kind of, you know, nobody would really give me any answer. Nobody wanted to talk. Nobody wanted to answer that question. Cause of course mm-hmm. I wanted to know, are you going to enforce, are you going to use force to enforce mask mandates that don't work? And, you know, I want you to know, I want you to feel uncomfortable. I want you to answer me. Um, And they, uh, then the one guy started speaking into his mic. Oh, I got somebody here. Like he was, he did. There's one guy that clearly was like, didn't, didn't want anything. And there are a couple others that I think maybe were nodding in agreement, but um, still didn't really want to go on the record and answer it. But I was like, I just want to make you think, you know, what, what's your role in this? And are you willing to enforce immoral laws that could put people at risk. I mean, how much is it? Do you want to like that woman up in Canada who was choked out and died for not wearing her mask properly at a, at a hospital? I mean, is that what, what we want? Because every law is enforced at the point of a gun. So every law can potentially be like, if you think about, um, uh, Oh, Eric Garner, you know, getting choked out Mm -hmm. for selling Lucy's up in, uh, New York. You know, so you have to start to make these cops understand like they think, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm here to play hero and I'm, you know, playing, you know, against the bad guy. I'm like, not when you are the bad guy, not when you're the one going around shutting down businesses, not when you're the one enforcing mass mandates, making it hard for people to make a living. I mean, you're not the good guy in this situation. And maybe you need to think about that. Yeah, I think it's always good to kind of try to have those conversations. You're right. Most of the time you're not going to get their opinion on your subject. You're not going to get them to speak on camera. I hardly ever do. But um, it, it is good to keep them accountable. You know, I've done police accountability work, which honestly, um, you know, no offense to people who are, you know, very hardcore conservative, but some people in the conservative movement are a little too starry eyed about the police still. Uh-huh. And, um, yep. You kind of look at yep. them as these, these can do no wrong. And if you, if you, if you are critical of them, you must be a left-wing Antifa BLM. And I was I did police accountability before there was BLM, before there was Antifa. There was no such thing. It used to just be like libertarians going into county buildings doing First Amendment audits or uh, making sure that traffic stops weren't, you know, violating people's rights. And it was very basic stuff. But these things are important. And I think reminding those police officers that they are the rubber that meets the road. And when you're out there doing that, like when you slam that woman on the ground with a mask with, for, for no mask, that's going to set a major precedent. 
Um, luckily, we never saw anything like that. The police in Orlando were very chill, respectable of what we did. They didn't strike me as ever going to be anybody that would enforce something like that. And um, personally, I've never seen a lot of any of the police brutality that we've seen in other cities over the years. Some of the crazy videos that go viral. I've never really seen anything like that happen in Orlando. It's very rare. So I don't know if we're just like a, an anomaly or um, if we just train our officers better here or if there's just a better like. It's just some better stuff in the air, keeping people from being crazy. But I don't know. Yeah, because uh, Orlando's, well, this is a, well, possibly a debatable topic, but Orlando's a very blue city, um, mm-hmm. you know, so I, it was one of the few that stayed blue, even in the, the onslaught of Ron DeSantis's reelection, um, right. you know, even Miami-Dade flipped, but Orange County stayed blue. Do you yeah. think it's as blue as they want you to believe? I mean, they did just catch a, a, a ballot harvesting ring and voter fraud ring. Is there something more there or a bigger story there? Or do you really think it's as blue as they want you to believe? I don't know. I'm probably the wrong person to ask because I live in downtown <laughs> Orlando because uh-huh. I would say, I would say, yeah, it seems that blue to me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But it's I, definitely I'm literally, I'm literally in the belly of the beast. I can be yeah. at the mayor's office in 10 minutes. So yeah. Um, and that's what makes it so nice, you know, living down here where I can have the elephant right out front taunting him in, in no time, but right. It, they very well. I mean, I think, in my opinion, most elections are probably got some funny business going on. It probably gets worse and worse every year. Um, there's no telling, but uh, it's definitely pretty yeah. blue in Orlando. We've got a lot of people, you know, that work for Disney. We've got people in the in the. There's a lot of art community here, and there's like a very like uh-huh. you know vegan and hipster vibe in downtown. I know Miami has a lot of that too, but I don't know. I just think there's a very large gay community here. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just, it just seems like the people's politics are just very hardcore blue in the city of Orlando. It's a beautiful city. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of neat things to it and it seems pretty clean. Um, You know, traffic sucks, but uh, does every city. But I mean, for a big city, it's, um, I think, well run, I guess, if you can say that in terms of, you know, there's not like overrun with rampant crime. There's not decrepit buildings you don't see homeless tent cities like you do in other areas but um i want to start talking let's talk about um that you just brought it up the elephant you're doing a big elephant in the room which i think is brilliant um why don't you tell us what you're doing with that yeah it uh vaccine injury was like it always has been with the childhood vaccines was being treated like it didn't exist and when all these covid vaccines vaccine injuries began happening i said you know I'm seeing these memes about the elephant in the room and a huge elephant dies in the room. And I, I just got to thinking, I was like, what if I could just get an elephant and bring it to the mayor's office? You know, that would be very hard to ignore. And, um, I, you know, you got to stay creative. People ask me, how do you get the media to show up? How do you get these people's attention? I go, well, sometimes you just got to do something a little off the wall. I'm not saying like too crazy. Don't, you know, don't break any laws or hurt anybody, but Maybe a life-size elephant will get the media to show up. So it I is life-size. It's like six, yeah. seven feet tall. This is, I mean, maybe not true life-size, but it's big. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think the elephant's that size. It's seven feet by ten. And um, yeah. So I decided let's get the elephant and put vaccine injury right on the side of it. We're going to park it right out front of the mayor's office, and when we go speak in there with the vaccine injured, that will be out front. The vaccine injured will be speaking at the podium. I'll have a smaller elephant with me inside. So they just can't escape it. 
Um, and it was just something different and it, it stuck and it worked. And I was taking, uh, I, I think I took a dozen vaccine injured people in there over four or five meetings. And uh, once again, the uh, governor stepped in just like with the firefighters and said, we're going to, we're going to tackle this issue. And um, they did. And they brought some of the vaccine injured and gave them that national stage that I had been trying to get them on through the county level. And it was just really nice to see that happen. And um, the elephants paid off. Now I'm taking it to other medical freedom events, letting people take pictures with it. It's a great, it's a great way to get, get the awareness raised. You know, people walk by it and they say, what, what the heck is what's going on? And I'm like, it's the elephant in the room. And they're like, Oh, okay. And then even people in disagreement of the message are like, you know what? I got to give it to you. That is pretty creative, even though I don't necessarily agree. So it's doing, it's, it's doing the trick. Yeah. And, um, how did you pay for that or how did you have it made? Did you make it? What, how, tell me where it came oh, from. Yeah. So, um, fortunately we have a great base of supporters, you know, the Florida freedom keepers and the people who follow, we are change Orlando, children's health defense, Florida achieve wellness. We've just got some great people in this medical freedom community. That's willing to donate whenever we needed to do a highway banner or an airplane flyover or, or buy new signs to go with the COVID narrative, we would raise some money. And I don't ever do like a, you know, I don't have like a, um, a donation or thing or anything, but we'll pick a project and we'll raise funds for it. We raised the money for the elephant in like three days. It was uh, over $1,000 and we got it paid for and it shipped here and it it blows up with a uh, electrical outlet. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so cool. I was wondering about that. So I, I saw a video, um, you know, it was great because you were reading on record. It's in the government record now, these vaccine injured stories. Mm -hmm. And I think it was at a recent, one of the recent um, commissioner, was it commissioner, city council meeting? Which one? Yeah. County commissioner, yeah. Yeah. Um, that one of the commissioners um, was kind of like, look, you've been here, we hear you, but we're not the people you need to be speaking to because we're not, there's no mandates here. We're not in charge of anything. You need to go tell this to somebody else. Like they're tired of hearing from you now. Um, right. But did she, did she have a point? Is there somebody else you need to be speaking to? I mean, you know, do they need to keep hearing the vaccine injured stories or, you know, what's, uh, what else could you be doing or should you be doing? Yeah, you're right. You hit it on the head when you said that she's tired of us and mm -hmm. that their response that day was clearly showing that we're getting to them. Um, and, you know, I'll just say this. If they wanted us to stop, maybe they should have acknowledged us and given us some respect the first 20 times. Maybe one of these times they should have said, we're sorry for ignoring you. Or we're sorry for gaslighting you. We've never gotten anything. So for her to say that you're wasting our time was like a, a real just kick in the face. And that's why we stood up and were spoke out of order and were eventually kicked out. But, you know, and I, I will say what that's stemming from is that this time we actually brought people from out of the county and out of the state. We've been bringing people mostly from Central Florida and the state of Florida as a whole. This time there were some people in town for a conference, you know, so be it. There was someone from Nevada. There was someone from Tennessee, a nurse. So why not get their stories on record? They're still important stories. It's things that are happening to people in Orange County. It's no big deal. There's no laws against people from out of town speaking. They took that as like, you're not from here. We can't help you type of thing. And there's no mandates. The governor took away our power to do mandates. So we can't help you. While that may be true, 
you're an elected official and a county commissioner, you have the ability to hold a press conference at the drop of a hat. You have the ability to grab that little microphone and say something on the record right now acknowledging us. You have so much power in that position as an elected official, and you've done absolutely nothing but look at us like this when we speak. So it's the audacity to say that we're wasting their time. Then you shouldn't have treated us like crap this long. And when every time they do that, it just makes us want to go back in there five more times. Right. Yeah, that's awesome. Have you gotten, do you think you've gotten through at all to anybody? I see like, I think which one, I don't know if it's Anna or her sister, Eskimami that sits there and, you know, she's a horrible person, but uh, an idiot, but how, how can they sit there and hear story after story after the vaccine injured and then still sit there in their smug little world and look down on us and you guys are crazy. Look at these anti-vaxxers, you know, I mean, you have to be really a heartless person to hear these people's personal stories and still refuse to hear them or look into this or at all be moved by it as if these people are just making it up or attention seekers or whatever. I mean, have you? You know, and that's, that's one of the main reasons that I ended up going in here and doing this strategy is because you can do this plausible deniability of, oh, we didn't know, or the science changed, or we didn't know people were getting hurt. None of these people can ever say that. Not Mayor Demings, not Anna Eskamani. They've seen them. They've heard these people speak in front of them. And and now you have to answer to, why did you ignore them? They can't do the, oh, well, I wasn't aware of that. And that's honestly what most of my goal was, to go in there and check that box so they can never say, we didn't know. We can rewind to these videos and go, no, here's two months before the vaccine. You had these people come in here and tell you everything that was going to happen. And then it happened. Then you have all the vaccine injured people saying, hey, here's what we warned you about. Now we need help. And now you're ignoring them. It makes them look so bad. This is going to age beautifully for us and horribly for them (laughs) because it's just going to show how inconsiderate they are. Anna was caught tweeting. She wasn't. She was in the crowd during the commissioner meeting and she's not a commissioner. But if someone is up there practically crying on the stand, lives in Orange County, one of possibly one of your constituents, wouldn't you at least give them some undivided attention? She was. <laughs> and, and, you know, maybe she's working. Maybe there's an emergency. Well, I went on Twitter and looked up. She was tweeting. I found her with a timestamp making that tweet at, at one minute. And then the very next minute she tweeted a picture of herself. So um, that's that's what we're dealing with. And that's why I called her out during that meeting and said, listen, you're you're thank you for, you know, tweeting when the vaccine injured were speaking. Maybe you can give them some attention and you see her stutter and fumble over her words. But I'm just going to continue to call these people out, whether it's Carlos Smith, that representative that lost his seat or Anna. They have like I told them, they would never gaslight a rape or a hate crime victim because that's what their team cheers for. Right. But I told them these people have been injured by the vaccine that you pushed constantly. Anna has the nerve to push it the day after hearing injury stories. Not, I mean, that's how you know ruthless these people must be. So I don't know how they sleep at night. And I don't know how they're not at least saying, hey, I'm sorry, there is a risk. I, my bad. You've got to at least do that. We do. I mean, or at least fall back on the, well, we didn't know at the time. I mean, right. That that's, I mean, in a way bullshit. I mean, I guess maybe, yeah, there are some people who genuinely really trusted um, True. the FDA or Trump or the medical system or whatever. And they, right. they didn't know any better. Um, 
but uh, uh, now they do, and they there there have been a lot of people that have come out and um, um, you know backtracked on all that. You know, so it's kind of a weak excuse, but in some cases it is honest. Um, but uh, some people are just refused to see it. It's like that cult. That's why we call it a cult because, yeah. um, you, you know, like you can't deviate that hive mind. You just, you, it does not permit right. you to have humanity and to see your adversaries as people. Um, they're not, they're just people, they're subjects or, you know, lower status beings that don't deserve any thought or consideration on your way to power and prestige, I guess. Um, what do you do? Cause you don't have like a website or anything. How do you get people, how do you communicate with your tribe? You know, cause that, I don't know that I would, that seems like a bit unusual to not have a website or to not have like a, you know, a, a, a page or, I mean, I know you're on social media and everything, but how do you stay engaged? How do you, marshal the troops, et cetera, when you need to. Um, and would you recommend doing that your way? Or do you think people, you know, on their own should have some sort of a presence and build a list, et cetera, et cetera? So I probably should have a website. You're right. But um, <laughs> and that's that's something that I should have, but I don't. I've always really just rallied people on social media. You know, before 2016, 17, it was very easy to do. You know, we could have thousands of people um, going to our protest event on Facebook and recycle the event each year and keep all those people informed. That was shut down so much each year. And now it's essentially impossible to like promote an event on Facebook. I use Telegram, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, those are the main platforms you can find me on. I just moved from YouTube to Rumble. So um, other than word of mouth and uh, personal contacts, you know, these days the censorship is so bad and all my accounts that I do have are throttled down so bad. I have to reach out to people individually. So these days I'll be reaching out to people through text or messenger um, to send them the new video or to let them know about the new event because it's, it is that difficult. They've really splintered us off. Um, and I think that is part of the reason why some of our events are smaller than they used to be, but it's just yeah. the way it, just the way it has, has the cookie crumbled for us. And I'll make sure to link to all those uh, accounts on the show notes page. So I'll get you to send me all oh, that information um, so that people know where to find you. Um, are you a family man? Yeah. Yeah. So you have a wife, kids, kid? Yep, I, have, I have a wife and one son. Yeah. Um, how do you balance it? And you have, I mean, I take it, you do a lot, but this isn't your full-time job though, is it? I mean, you're- No, you're, it's not. And that's the other thing I'll mention is- um, you know, I don't take donations and for any of my activism, but if anyone does want to support me, I'm a residential realtor for my day job. So I help people buy and sell homes during the day. Um, if anyone wants to move to Central Florida, I'd love to help you out. But it is tough to balance because as much as I'd love to get paid for my activism, I only get censored. So I got to pay the bills. I have to spend time with family. The balance is, is one of the most difficult things to do. But I also gave up, you know, partying, you know, drinking all, I mean, not that I'd never drink again, but I don't do the things that I used to do at 23, you know, and, um, I don't watch sports. I gave up any type of pop culture and mainstream media. I don't watch television. Um, so those things are, that's a lot of time that, you know, I don't, you asked me about the latest, you know, Netflix series and I'm ignorant to every single one. So 
I spend my free time, you know, trying to educate people and organize. And, you know, right before we um, got on this, this call, I was on a call to the congressman who thanked me refreshingly for the first time ever. A uh, congressman thanked me for my elephant in the room speech. And I called him to thank him for that. And uh, so, you know, who was that? Do you want to name names? Yeah. His name's representative Doug Bankson. He's in the Apopka area. Okay. Congratulations. Uh, Way to go, Doug Bankson. So yeah, that's a, that's, he's a, he's a good guy in my book for that. And, uh, uh, hopefully we get some more of that. There was the girl next to him was nodding her head as well when he was thanking me. So for the first time ever, it looks like there's a light at the end of the tunnel with some of those people that sit up there in front of us, whether it be the commissioners or the, the delegation, uh, people, but, um, yeah, the balance is something that I think everyone's got to make sure they do. If there's one bit of advice I'll give on that is don't get too uh, far into the rabbit hole that you think that everyone's controlled opposition and you think that you were never getting out of this because that is part of the PSYOP. Part of the PSYOP is to think that you're going to be locked in a FEMA camp by next summer. It's part of the PSYOP to make you think that everyone in our movement is working for the government. Your, your controlled oppositions are your Elon Musk's and your Greta Thunberg, not your RFK Jr. and your David Icke. Um, I've been in this long enough to know that that typically divides us and distracts us more than anything. If anybody is going to get exposed and they will, time will tell. Um, don't spend too much time on that. Remember to go outside. Remember to go out and meet these people and talk to them in real life instead of just watching the exposed video on them on BitChute. Um, that's some of the best advice I can give to people. The rabbit hole can be sometimes not only a dark place, but can be like a confusing and paranoid place if you spend too much time in there. That's that's very true, and it's easy to feel black pilled. Um, yeah, where, that's the word they use now, right? Yeah, where nothing yeah. we do matters. It's all too much. I mean, they got the Great Reset. They're meeting in Davos. There's nothing we can do to take on the Klaus Schwabs and Bill Gateses of the world. So you know, fuck it. You know, whatever. This is all too you, much. That's why you got to follow more people that are um, doing the solution, and not just everyone that's highlighting the problem. For instance, yep. a big shout out to Derek Bros with the Conscious Resistance Network. He's hosting the Greater Reset, the fourth installment um, this year, and it is happening right now in uh, Mexico and Texas. Um, there's some great people speaking, but he's all about the food forests and the parallel economies and the alternative systems. Um, that's something I think you can tune into uh, this weekend and probably rewatch it. So. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing. That's the purpose of this show. What can we do? Um, because I want to talk to people like you who are action takers, who are solutionaries, who are problem solvers, who are doing something, anything to fight back. And, and I, I like to talk to average people um, that, you know, people like you and me, that people right. can say, oh, if if Justin can do this, if Haley can do this, if Dana can do this and, and, you know, fight back, then I can do this too. You don't have to be somebody with a, a hundred thousand followers on, on social media or Instagram. You can just start off um, small and just do anything, I think. Um, and yeah. just, or if you don't even have to, this is again, the point, inspire or encourage others to take action. You don't have to be the ringleader. If you can join up, just join up. There's plenty of them now. When I started this a couple of years ago, no, there weren't as many groups um, and in people involved, but now there's plenty more or less. And so if you don't, if you're not that role, if you're not the CEO, you know, ringleader type, then you can get out there and you can at least join another group that's already being active. Um, I want to wrap up with two more questions, Justin. Um, we've got the Florida legislative session that's just starting right now. 
What are your hopes for that? Are you going to be doing any activism around that? What do you see coming down the pipeline? Um, I, I honestly um, leave a lot of the legislative stuff to the Florida Freedom Keepers, not to dump it all on them, but they, they do really well with contacting legislators, working on the bills, Children's Health Defense, um, Health Freedom Florida. They, we've got a new bill that they just introduced, SB 222, and it is basically to fill in those gaps and loopholes about um, the discrimination, the, the vaccine passports, all that stuff really going to tie up everything neatly. It's a bill that was crafted by our community. So we're really going to be pushing our representatives to support that one. It's like our medical freedom anti-discrimination bill that we've all been waiting for. So I, I support everything that they put out and I will hold these people's feet to the fire. Um, but I do more of the, I'm more of the guy with the megaphone and in the council meeting room, uh, making them really mad. They still have to deal with us. I do make my phone calls and I, I do the other part, but um, I kind of leave that to them and then help promote it as they, as they feed it to me. It takes but everybody and it takes, takes all kinds, you know, everybody's got their role yeah. and everybody has their strengths and, you know, you play to your strengths and if, you know, that's, that's fine. We can't all do everything. So just I pick what the, you're. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing to remind people is not only to have your representative support that SB 222, but remind them that n none of this COVID tyranny will ever stand again. The, the, the co or the hospital immunity that hopefully DeSantis is going to be tackling. There's now a rumor that he will be the hospital immunity, the discrimination, all of it has to end and it can never come back. I think reminding them that and that not just let them say, Oh, COVID's over. Finally, they stop barking about all that mandate and hospital stuff. No, 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 never those never locking family members out again, never forcing remdesivir, never forcing vaccines, never, never again. We've got to hammer them because in little pockets around the world in the country, we're seeing mass mandates and proposing possibly putting them back on airplanes. And we just got to keep, we just got to keep at it. Fight like we're losing. That's what I tell people. Yeah, exactly. And I just wrote an email to my list um, a couple of days ago. I promoted uh, our interview. I said, I'm going to be interviewing you. And then um, I said, look, you know, we just came out. Governor DeSantis made a great uh, speech a few days ago about um, the the health freedom bills that we're yeah. going to be we're going to be making permanent. But I said, I mean, and that's good, but we want accountability. So even like the hospital revoking hospital immunity, which is, again, another positive step. I want to see heads roll. When are heads going to roll? When are people going to go to jail? When are people going to be held accountable? I want accountability. They want amnesty. We want accountability. I want, I want New Nuremberg 2.0. We are not the same. So yeah. these are all good steps, and I don't want to denigrate them or, or pretend like you know that's we don't, we're not going to support them. Of course we do, but right. I also want to make sure we have to hold their feet to the fire. We you know immunity is good, but um whose head is going to roll for putting people on ventilators, ventilators, force feeding right. them, uh, remdesivir until their organs failed and killing people who, who right. gets fired for that? Who gets, who goes to jail? Anybody? I will say that if, if, if I will say, I am very confident that what we, me and you and these people on the ground talking about, they are listening. Sometimes we might think, Oh, DeSantis's people are never hearing our, they know. And the more that we have these conversations and post about it and talk about it, I can guarantee you that they're going, okay, there's a whole lot of people talking about they want accountability. That needs to be the next, that needs to be the next piece that we move. So just keep doing what you're doing and keep encouraging people to do the same. Cause I have some contacts with this office now, and I can assure you that even the little guys, they see what we're upset about. 
Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to give the last word to you, Justin, the name of the show. What can we do? Um, big question. But, you know, I asked people like going back to what I was saying, look, we see them meeting in Davos. We see them, you know, the puppet masters, they're not even hiding it. They're not even hiding it. You know, right. they've got plans for us. They want us to not eat, eat meat. They want us to stay in our 15 minute cities. Um, you know, climate change, climate change, climate change, climate looks fine to me. Um, <laughs> what can we do? Can you think of it like that? I mean, when it's, when you put it that way, it seems also big and scary and there isn't anything we can do, but clearly we are. What do you think um, we should be doing? Um, I will say we can't change. If you do try to change the world, it will blow up in your face. Work on changing yourself. The rest will flow out. The two biggest best decisions I ever made was turning off the TV, and that includes all mainstream propaganda, and changing my diet. When I got healthy, when my mind and my gut, everything else, your energy goes up, your positive outlook, you're able to just crush it more. You can do what you were put here to do. And I think and we just work on ourselves and be the change we wish to see, you're going to see that ripple effect go on out. And remember, when you get discouraged about Davos or how big the deception is or how long it's been going on, it's just a ride. I'll quote Bill Hicks. It's literally just a ride. And you can wake up and drive to the beach tomorrow and forget about it. Or you can just spend the day with your kids or that you can... You can still escape for the day and just not think about it. Just don't let it bring you down because that's when you're letting the enemy win. When you're all worried and in fear and and, and scared for the future, they've already won. But when you're enjoying every single day, I'm happy every single day because I know we've, we've had some victories. I know we have crazy victories ahead of us, and I know that we do win in the end. So why be miserable in the moment? That's That's literally all we have, so... Yeah. Well, that's great. And I appreciate your positive outlook, your glass half full uh, optimism and uh, appreciate everything you've been doing, not just with the health freedom fight, but for being in this fight for the last 10 years or more and showing people how it's done. And it's people like you um, who are exactly what we need in our movement that are inspiring and encouraging others to take action, letting your actions speak for themselves, being the um, role model that we all need and um you matter and you've made a difference you've made an impact and i want you to know that and we really appreciate you so thanks so much for joining us justin and um uh i will plug your links anything else you want to plug before we go um thank you so much for those kind words first of all i really appreciate that we all have a role in this and i feel like i feel like me and you are both uh definitely tackling that um, the only thing I would plug is, you know, if anybody wants to reach out to me or follow some of my work on social media, I'm on uh, Facebook, We Are Change Orlando, YouTube and Rumble, We Are Change Orlando, and you can find me on Instagram, Justin underscore We Are Change. Great. All right, Justin, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll be in touch. Uh, for I, I look forward to collaborating on uh, something else uh, that you've got going on. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.